Help keep Kinks and Beats Daily alive with a $4 monthly contribution and receive exclusive bonus episodes as our thank you to you. Visit herohabit.com slash shop for more details. Hello, hello. Welcome to Kinks and Beats Daily. I'm your host, Tony Fry. This is episode 199. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for your support to all those who have contributed to our um, Kinks and Beats support subscription for $4 a month. I do appreciate it, and um, thank you humbly that you enjoy it enough to to give some of your hard-earned money. To those who have sent gifts my way, um, thank you so much. I do appreciate that, and um, including um, some MP3 downloads that Maybe I'm not allowed to have, but I've got them now, so neener, neener, neener. All right, today we're talking about If I Needed Someone by The Beatles, which was released on December 3rd, 1965 on the Rubber Soul album. This is the penultimate track on the album, and I know just by saying that word, at least one listener smirked. And it's the second song on the album penned by George Harrison. Um, There's a lot I love about this song. For starters, the backing vocals are superb, and they really showcase the band as a capable copycat of the Southern California sound. That's one thing, you know, we talked about, uh, I think the kinks are able to adapt to any style and trend that they come with. Because frankly, you know, the Beatles had seven years in the studio. The kinks had 35 or whatever it is. They had a lot more trends and styles to navigate through. You know, the Beatles didn't have to navigate through punk or disco um i think the beatles though are among the greatest copycats of all time you know their ability to be like all right let's do a song like buck owens and then let's do a song like the birds and then let's do a song like dylan uh and then let's do a song like hoagie carmichael was just effortless you know i think um them and queen are probably the two best bands of all time at being able just to mix genres and just take elements from everywhere. And this song absolutely does that. They're definitely um, lifting some of the Southern California sound on this one, which is fine because the Southern California sound lifted um, from Hard Day's Night. You know, it, it's just back and forth. It's kind of like the, the Beatles and the Beach Boys back and forth. You know, the birds heard Hard Day's Night and picked up the 12-string Rickenbacker. And then George hears all that and then writes this song. So, you know, it's all they're all influencing each other. Uh, there's also Paul's bass work on this one, which is among his best bass grooves on this track. Um, this song, though, is way overdue for a remix. I hope they give Rubber Soul the same treatment they've given Pepper and the White Album and, and Abbey Road. Um, because if they do to think for your, or if they do to If I Needed Someone, what they did to think for yourself on the Yellow Submarine song track, back in 99, I believe, um, which has similar backing vocals to this song. I'd be stoked because everything is very hard panned on this. The stereo mix is not great. And I think a a proper modern stereo mix of this would just elevate this song tremendously. Um, Although the Beatles didn't release this as a single, it was Harrison's first charting composition as a composer because the Hollies released a cover of it on the same day Rubber Soul was released. Their single came out December 3rd, 65, on um, the same day. You might wonder, how did they get to do a cover that came out 
the same day as the original. Well, uh, George Martin apparently gave a copy to, of the demo to the Hollies producer, and they agreed to record it. Now, I don't believe it was a demo. I believe it was probably an acetate of a finished, you know, maybe they didn't do the, the, the final mix or whatever, but I believe the Hollies heard at least a near complete version because they nearly reproduced it note for note. Um, and I don't think you would just accidentally recreate the harmonies and the guitar solo and all that. So the story is that it was a demo. I believe that's just a, a, a misstatement that it was actually an acetate. Harrison and Lennon both publicly blasted the Hollies rendition, and Harrison said they sounded like a bunch of session men who'd never played together. Graham Nash, who was in the Hollies before he was in Crosby, Stills, and Nash, um, uh, replied that said that he would put any of the Hollies up against any of the Beatles musically any day, which may have been a bit, may have been a bit of a puff chest retort because let's face it, the Hollies at that point were still releasing covers as A sides and really simplify the arrangement of this song. So I know this will surprise you, but I agree with George on this one. You know, they nicked every second of the Beatles recording, copied the guitar solo, all of it. They, uh, um, but kind of slopped the solo, cheated the opening riff, dumbed down the bass line. Um, it's not very tight. You know, it seems like there's a couple times when the drums kind of fill. It seems to barely hold together in spots. Um, their harmonies are are more than capable, as you'd expect from the Hollies. They, they were good singers. But musicianship-wise, I don't think they really legitimately held a candle to the Beatles. But that's the rivalry, you know, of the time. This song, uh, if we're looking at, at the composer, it hits a lot of the signature signs of a Harrison composition. For starters, the bulk of the melody is based on the upbeat. Only the first word of each line is on a downbeat. Um, and I know we've talked about this before. Uh, I, I, for the life of me, can't remember what song we mentioned it in. Um, uh, but, you know, Harrison does that a lot. He bases a lot of his melodies on upbeat. Right? That's all upbeats. The only thing that's down is down, up, down, up. It's all upbeats. Um, uh, he also, there's a, a drone throughout the track, which you really heard when he got heavy into Indian music. But at this point, he's picked up the sitar. He's starting to study. Um, he hasn't had any full Indian classical orchestrations yet. That's, you know, later on Revolver. But he, he's hip to the, the techniques, and he's starting to do this drone um, throughout this track. So he begins the song on an A major chord. And then right before he says the title line, um, he shifts down a whole step to G major, but he keeps the A in the bass. So he's in. So that A maintains through the entire verse. Uh, and A does not belong in a G major triad. It's the sixth. So you could say he's playing a G6, but it's... Um, uh, uh, having it in the bass is pretty unusual for a pop tune. 
you know, you hear it in classical, you hear it in Indian music, but you didn't hear uh, a lot of pop tunes, especially in 1965, throwing the sixth scale degree of a chord um, on the bass. <clears throat> and that's basically the entirety of the verse. It's just these two. If I needed someone to That's the whole verse, right? Just those two chords. Uh, then for the bridge, because there isn't a traditional chorus, T-shirt coming soon, um, he shifts to an E minor chord. Again, using the same upbeat rhythm. It's the exact Rhythmically, it's the exact same thing. He went from, if I needed someone to love to, had you come another day. It's all upbeats. Um, so it's the same rhythmically as the verse, but he shifts to E minor, to F sharp 7, to B minor twice. And then he resolves it to an E sus 4 to an E7, which circles him back to A. And I suppose for the bridge, we could say he shifted to B harmonic minor, which is a weird shift from A major. Um, and kind of the only reason it works is because he just does it and commits to it. You know, a classical composer would probably have eight bars of transition and sequencing and all that kind of stuff to drift to shift you from A major to B harmonic minor. George just does it. It's kind of like how he shifts from A minor to A major and while my guitar gently weeps. It's not traditionally how you would be trained to do it, but if you just do it and keep going and don't look back, then it sounds fine. Um, so in B harmonic minor, uh, it's just a it's it's um, it's a simple four, five, one progression. But what makes it sound so weird is that it's coming off of and resolving to the A major. So we've got this. Um, there's your tonic. But he barely hits it, right? Two, five. Hitting that E sus chord to the E7 takes us right back to A. So getting out of it, he actually has to use a pivot chord because pivoting from uh, kind of leaves it hanging a little bit, sounds a little bit cheesy. So he adds that E chord, so he does actually pivot out of it. Um, and then lastly, the opening guitar part is typical Harrison, and probably the reason the Hollies kind of cheated it a little bit. Because he's actually playing two strings at once, with at least one, but sometimes two strings in between. Uh, amateurs don't do this. It's deceptively tricky. This is the mark of a consummate guitar player. Because most guitar players, you know, of average ability, would have done... Uh, what are Would have gone. Right? They would have just played it on one string. But what he's doing is he starts with octaves. Whoops. So he's kind of barring the seventh fret. And he's playing the second and the fourth string. So the third string's empty. And then the bottom note is just vamping that A drum. Quarter notes, downbeats, all the A. The top strings, though, are the ones that are playing the melody. Ah. 
Was that the opening riff? I think that was it. I, I sat and practiced it an hour ago and then I've completely forgotten it. It's a tricky thing and it's and um uh it's not hard, but it's not super easy either. And he's using a similar technique on the guitar solo, sort of inverting the melody on top. But the most remarkable thing is how he slips out of the solo and back into the opening riff. And it's kind of a mind bender since they're they're positioned differently on the guitar. He's got to go from having the separation of several frets on two different strings to barring a chord with a four fret stretch going the opposite direction that you were just coming from. Um, so it's one of those things that sounds easy and like anyone could do it, but um, there are guitarists in the Beatles who I don't believe could do it because uh, Harrison was the best. Um, so it's tricky and it sounds simple, like I said, but it's not. It's deceptively complicated. Uh, this isn't my favorite track on Rubber Soul. It's, I mean, how can you pick a favorite on a masterpiece? But for a young songwriter like George, uh, who, who was at this time had only had a couple songs even appear on a Beatles album, um, to have two tracks on one of Rock's greatest albums and neither of them detract from the album is you know, quite an achievement. And I think this song has gone on to become a Beatles classic especially because it's the definition of a specific Beatles sound. You know, this is when you talk about the jangly guitar Beatles sound, this is one of those songs you pull out. You know, when you talk about the acoustic driven songs, maybe Norwegian Wood, when you talk about the psychedelics, you know, they have so many different styles that they cover. And this is one that I think defines this exact particular style. Um, so that is If I Needed Someone. Let me know what you think. Give me a call, 925-494-1739, or email me, kinksandbeats at herohabit.com, and make sure you swing by herohabit.com for all the information you need about this podcast. And, of course, if you'd like to throw in $4 a month to help um, cover the cost of producing this podcast, that would be much appreciated, too. At the very least, give me five stars and a review uh, on iTunes. Right, I will talk to you guys. Next episode is number 200. Have a great day, guys. Take care. I just realized I was playing that riff totally wrong. I was trying to. I was trying to play the melody that's the opening riff it's not that hard uh, it's not that easy rather um but i did learn it just so you know all right bye for real